sweet girls and the ladies in missionettes for blessing us. Candy is always the right gift for our pastors. It's in the Bible somewhere. But. Before I re- get into our passage this morning, um, I just encourage us in something, and this is an administrative issue in our lives as we live for the glory of God and we tell his story. And this is what we do. You're trying to figure out who you are and why God created you. It's, and, and there's, there, this sounds counterintuitive, but it, the greatest joy of our lives is to tell another story, not our own. And that's the story we want to tell, but the story that is the greatest joy and the most fulfillment for any of us is to tell God's story through our lives. And so God is doing things like redeeming us and saving us and giving us a future and a hope. God is interrupting the the fallenness of this world and doing things in our lives as well. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had some time in the services to pray for people. And we've just heard from a few people of the ways in which the Lord has met them as prayer was taking place and and needs were being met and physical healings were taking place in their lives. It's, It's an amazing joy uh, for me to get an email during the week of someone saying, I've, I've had this particular pain for 10 years, and uh, the Lord met me in prayer Sunday morning, and, and I'm no longer on the medication. I'm no longer experiencing this pain as a result of that time of prayer. Now, that's the one that I got to hear about. And there are others that uh, we, we want to tell God's story. And so one of the things that's very helpful for us is, is not just we're going to read today from Exodus and we're going to see God's story in this passage, but God is still telling his story today. God is still doing miraculous things and powerful things and faith-building things and adjusting our hope today. But you may not get a chance to hear it because sometimes we don't get a chance to hear it in a way that we can give it back to you. And so we are always shopping for testimonies. You know, the Bible, one of the things I'm going to do with us as we get through Exodus is we're going to visit how many times the Bible retells the Exodus story. It's all over the place. You're going to be amazed at how many times the Bible tells the story again of what God did. And he did it again and again and again. They want to tell that story. And when you share testimonies with us, it allows us to tell God's story. And so that builds faith in each other's lives. And so if, if you have a testimony of something God's done in your life recently, you can go to our website. Uh, there's a place where you could you just, by email, submit that to us. It'll come to the pastors. There's a little place there at lakeviewchristiancenter.com for an email address. Uh, and you can send us something that God's done in your life, and that'll come to us, and it'll be a way for us to find ways to tell God's story through what he's still doing today in your life. So can you make a note about that? If you met God last week or the week before or just recently God's done something powerful in your life, uh, write that story down. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It could be a paragraph, and, and that would be plenty for us just to be aware of that and be able to make God's goodness known. All right, let's read here in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
But the people thirsted there, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Well, Lord, we are again reminded these are not a Charles Dickens story or something from the past that a historian wrote down. Lord, these are divinely ordained words that you have preserved for us to be affected by today. Lord, you are revealing something about ourselves, about our need, and about who you are in these passages. So, Lord, open our hearts. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, there's a point in this story, right? This is a wilderness event. Again, we've been trafficking with God's people in the wilderness as they've departed from Egypt. Uh, we're about six weeks out from Goshen, right? So they started in Goshen. They had to trust God. They're about, this is about where they are now. They've gone six weeks. I know it's taken us more than six weeks to travel with them here, but uh, we move slower than almost, almost two million people on foot. But six weeks out, about 400 miles they have journeyed in a wilderness setting, and we've seen it's been a bit of a challenge there. So why does God write these stories down? Why do you have a story that's featuring this desperate moment of a people in a dusty, dry, wilderness location where they're having to find water? Right? Now, remember, this is, this is not a reality TV show. Right? This is not like Bear Grylls takes people into the wilderness and they've got to find water and Moses is playing the part of Bear Grylls for us today. No, this is, this is one of those moments in which something in the physical world is being used to illustrate something in the spiritual world. And they've already traveled through some moments where it's going to take some faith for them to live in this place. Right? To step out into an unknown location takes faith. To step out into what you know to be a wilderness full of mystery takes faith. To stand against the Red Sea with an army pressing in on you and no escape route and no way out takes faith. And today, to be confronted by thirst, the desperation of this thing called thirst in our lives, it takes faith to live in those moments. Now, this is a physical representation of thirst, right? Again, but this is not a story that we're reading all these years later in the suburbs of America where water is plentiful and there's a faucet on every house that if you get thirsty, I'm sure somebody give you some water. Right? This is not about physical thirst, is it? This is about something more than physical thirst, but it is very much about 
thirst. So, so let's get clear on this. What, what exactly is this thing called thirst? Well, I'm going to talk about physical sense of thirst and spiritual sense of thirst. In the physical, Merriam-Webster defines thirst as a sensation of dryness in the mouth and throat associated with a desire for liquids. Also, the bodily condition as of dehydration that induces this sensation. I like that word induces there. It's, it's going to be a little helpful for us. Because there is something that's just happening here that's going to induce, it's going to engender, it's going to cause inside of these people a response to their setting of thirst. It's not as though they go, hey, you know, we're six weeks out, 400 plus miles we've traveled now. I think we probably ought to be thirsty, huh? You want to be thirsty? Yeah, I think we should be thirsty too. That's not the event here. Right? Nobody has to volunteer to be thirsty in this moment. This is that moment in which life drives you to a place where inside of you, you are induced to be thirsty. There's no volunteering here. There's nobody in this mix of people that are going, why are you thirsty? I'm fine. No one's fine in this setting. Physically, they're in a place where they've been induced to be thirsty, whether they want it or not. Right, well, in a spiritual sense, let me use a different element of this definition of thirst. I think it's more reflective spiritually. It's a strong craving. Right? So you have that I don't have liquid element. And, and thirst is also used in people's lives to describe things that are strong cravings. Right? So whether it's physical, it can also be a dimension of the invisible part of us the soulish dimension of us, the spiritual component of who we are, wants something. It craves something. And that's no small thing. Right? This is a loud issue for us. Right? So I'm going to say spiritual thirst is the spiritual conditions that induce the sensation of strong cravings. Right? So we're going to live our lives, every one of us, I think we've all agreed on this, there's this pattern of the people of Israel who have left Egypt and they have ventured out into the wilderness. Life is a wilderness journey, right? It, it may be pretty in some locations. It may be desperate in others. There may be palm trees and there may be, may be nothing but sand and rocks as far as your eyes can see. That's the journey of life that you and I are on. And in that journey, strong cravings get created in our lives, right? And this is the, the stuff of happiness, right? When you and I go to try and live a happy life, it is those strong cravings that we're trying to figure out how to satisfy those things so that we can have a happy life. It's the stuff of ambitions. It's the stuff of anger, right? I mean, look at verse 3. The people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses. The people, this could be a rap song, the people thirsted and the people grumbled, right? When strong cravings arrive in your life, it's very likely that grumbling comes with it. Because when this is strong enough in me and I'm convinced that I need it and I'm desperate and something's got to happen favorably here, well, then the other side of that is I'm going to begin to grumble. And in this sense, Moses says that they're not just, you know, this is not like a slight complaint. Lord, they're going to kill me. 
This is, they're angry. They are pressed by life in such a way that they have become angry and animated, and they're going to take it out on somebody. And, you know, this is a warning for those whom God has called to lead anything. If you're leading a family, you're leading in a business, you're leading in a church, at some point when people's cravings get strong enough, you will be blamed. Somehow you, boss, mom, dad, pastor, small group leader, whoever, you, you have failed to satisfy the things that I've needed in my life, and I am angry about it, and I'm going to let you know. And they don't always kind of explain it to you that way. They just kind of bark at you, get a little prickly to be around, get a little razor's edge. Comments are a little cold and abrupt. Because when we have strong cravings and we don't satisfy them, uh, we become agitated and ambitious and angry and depressed. And This is what life is made of. So all of us here this morning know something about thirst. But what I want to make sure that we see in this passage, that this is not so much hung up on water fountains and an ice-cold Coke. This is, this is the issues of our soul. This is the immaterial part of us that this passage is trying to address, that there are going to be cravings in the soul that are going to need to get satisfied a certain way. Now, let me chase off a little sidebar issue here. I put some thoughts here in your outline, and, and I'm going to probably, you'll hear me do this a lot, lot more, because the culture that you and I are living in is more and more and more defining our existence around natural things. Everything in our lives is natural. It's, it's stuff you can touch. It's things you can have. It's, it's what you can experience with your senses. It fits into the temporary time zone of living on planet Earth. It's not immaterial. It's not issues of the soul the way the Bible describes them. So to be aware that there's a great danger in this, not just for the scientist who's going to turn atheist. There's a great danger in this for the people of God because when you go to satisfy the thirst that's in you, are you aware of whether or not you're seeking spiritual satisfaction or natural satisfaction in your life? Or the world's promoting natural satisfaction. Look at a couple of thoughts here. J.P. Moreland wrote a book called The Soul, making an argument for that immaterial part of our lives. He said a few years ago, Time Magazine featured an article defending stem cell research on human embryos. These embryos are microscopic groupings of a few differentiated cells. There's nothing human about them except potential. And if you choose to believe it, a soul. For many, belief in the soul is like a belief in ghosts, an issue best left to the pages of the National Enquirer. Right? You get that foolish belief that there's this immaterial part of us, that there's a God who's invisible, that that there's that part of life that you can't stick into a test tube and do some kind of a scientific experiment with. You know, that's, that's for the naive fools, really. Well, it's going to be interesting that when you go to, to do and make ethical decisions like we're being faced with today, what are you going to do when you start defining man as just a blob of tissue? Just cellular matter. Well, that's what everything is, is cellular matter. Are we anything more than that? But listen, this is why the abortion industry continues to exist. Because man has separated his conscience from the reality that that's a human being. And there's more to a human being than cells and blobs of tissue. Oh, by the way, at the other end of the spectrum of life, 
when, when we become even more so a culture that loves our own convenient way of living and you have to care for aging relatives and aging people who science is keeping them alive longer and longer and longer, you're going to treat them like a blob of tissue at some point? Just cellular matter, right? That's all they are. They're just expensive, difficult, and interrupting my life, cellular matter. Well, you know, you say that at both ends. Doesn't our culture say that at both ends? An unwelcomed, unwanted pregnancy that I don't know what to do with that will disrupt my life. I, I won't be able to have the life that I'd like to have if I have to take responsibility for this blob of tissue. And later on in life, you're going to feel the same way. I won't be able to have the life that I want to have if I have to take responsibility for this blob of tissue. And so there's already lots of arguments about euthanasia on both ends, right? We already have abortion is already a done deal, but it won't be too long before at the other end we'll be doing the same thing because it matters how you define the human existence. If we're just, not, if we're just scientific matter, if we're just natural components, well, then you deal with life one way. But if man has a soul, if man is an entity who is in a body, intertwined in a body, but he is a soul who relates to God spiritually and relates to life spiritually, well, then it affects a lot of things, including our ethics. But this is everywhere, right? Moreland goes on in his book, and he says, The Walking Dead is a very popular television show today. In the first season's final episode, a scientist shows a group of ordinary people a video of the inside workings of a live human brain. It looks like a complex web of wires and nodes with a multitude of flashing lights traveling to and fro. He then declares, matter-of-factly, that all the electrical activity that they see is actually the real you. When those lights go off, you cease to exist. This is, this is not a small matter. The natural explanations for our lives can make Christians look for natural solutions to life for things that are really spiritually having to be solved, right? Moreland goes on later, he says, thinking through these issues are fascinating adventure of considerable importance. French philosopher Blaise Pascal, he rightly remarked that the soul's nature is so important that one must have lost all feeling not to care about the issue. The great Presbyterian scholar Grisham Mason says, I think we ought to hold only the man, not only that the man has a soul, but that it is important that he should know that he has a soul. Right, so you and I can't make this mistake that we have fed into, bought into the ideas that what matters are the things that are natural in our lives. And we become obsessed with the things that have to do with temporary things, momentary things, physical conditions, our health, and we obsess in these categories. Whatever pleasure sensors that we have that are natural, those are the things that are going to fix us. So, you know, you're here this morning and maybe, maybe you're grumbling, you're unhappy about something, you're ripping somebody's hide open like Moses was about to have his ripped open. And, and what is it that you'd like that would fix you? What are you really after that would fix you? family just needs a better, better paying job, right? Just, we just need to make more money. We just need to put a little more distance between us and the bills. Or, or is it something physically going on in your life? 
Is it something in this little temporary season? Like right now, something's got to get fixed. Well, what is that thing? See, because according to the Bible, there is a thirst inside of us. There's a craving inside of us. And we would do well to figure out how to drink the right thing to fix and address that thirst. Listen, we're going to land here. You're going to see where this is going to go in just a moment. We're going to land here with God who has a provision for thirst that might look a little different than just being natural-minded. Listen, none of us can escape this, right? We live in a world that's making the natural things feel like we've got to get to those things. So, you know, how many Christians today have a faithful, would die before they would miss it, time slot in their life that they're going to go to the gym, but they've got no faithful time slot that they're never going to miss in their life that they go to the prayer closet. All right, now I want to ask for a show of hands in that category. But for some reason, there's lots of us who just think, you know, prayer, commune with God, spiritually relate to the God of the invisible in a way that's going to make a difference, you know, but I'm in the gym every morning. I'm, I'm going through my routines. I am pressing myself to make sure I'm doing that. What does that tell you about yourself? But it tells you that you've been educated by the world to think a gym membership's more important than a prayer closet. Is it? Is that really the thing that's going to make you feel internally satisfied? It's going to satisfy the cravings of your heart? Some people today, I mean, we live in America, we're, we're well vested in and making sure, well, some are, that we're preparing for retirement and we're putting money away in those later years of life and the war over the social security system and making sure our 401k plan and everything's intact because the, those days are coming. But how many of us are mindful as to whether we're laying up treasures in heaven? as to whether or not I'm living my life in such a way that there is a reward for me that I won't experience in this life, but I know I will experience in that life. Right? You, you do know this, right? I don't want, this, is a, this, is a bad, this is a bad street to chase and open up that I'm not going to chase. But you, you do realize not everybody gets rewarded the same way in heaven. Did you know that? There are rewards that God has stored up for those who put their trust in him and walk in faith in him and serve in the kingdom of God. Now listen, you can't get into heaven based on that. But the well done, good and faithful servant will not be sounding exactly the same for everybody. Really? I didn't know that. Well, that just screams out, you're not paying attention to the long-term retirement plan, are we? Because right, I'd make sure I'd want to read that fine print because there's this little bitty tiny window called retirement in this world that, you know, goes from about 70 to about 80. And then there's this really, 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 really long retirement plan that take, kicks in right after that moment. And where am I invested? Where am I laying up treasures for myself, right? Well, this is an issue. But here's how the Bible highlights this spiritual component of our lives. There is a thirst in us. Look at your outline there. Psalm 42 uses, again, a physical presentation of thirst to connect with an internal spiritual thirst that's in us. As a deer pants for flowing streams, 
So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My soul thirsts, right? I think we need to pay attention to what's making this internal craving go on in me. Well, my soul thirsts. Just like my body has been programmed at some point, it, life is going to induce it to want to have an ice-cold glass of something. My body is going to be affected by something to reach toward that as its solution. My soul is created the same way. There's going to be life conditions that my soul begins to long for something. Well, what is it that your soul is longing for? It's not something in the natural. My soul thirsts for God. And that's the only thing that will satisfy it. Psalm 63 says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, right? That's the condition. That's the location. Your soul will find itself in something that you called a dry and weary land in some kind of category, right? When you get into that land and you've passed for six weeks and you're 400 miles from what used to be comfortable, your soul is going to cry out for something. What are you going to do to satisfy it in that moment? What are you going to drink to fix that kind of soul thirst? This is all throughout Scripture. Jesus picked up on this issue in John chapter 7. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And drink. Now, how many of you guys know that Jesus was not opening a concession stand in this moment? Right? He wasn't saying, hey, everybody in Jerusalem, you guys are thirsty? Well, come to Jesus over here. I mean, you know, the Jesus concession stand and, and get yourself something. Drinks are on me. Was he talking about something physical here? No. He says, whoever believes in me. Well, okay, now believing is now a form of drinking, isn't it? As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now can I connect this? Because I'm going to connect it in the end here. Can I connect this statement of Jesus to this event in the wilderness? Right? Jesus was not yet glorified because... Jesus had not yet been stricken and afflicted for our sins. The way in which that rock in the wilderness was going to be stricken and then water would flow from it. Right? This is the same story. This is not a new story. This is the same story that we see here that Jesus is referring to. So here's our lesson learned. There is an inner spiritual or soulish condition for humanity that is restless, searching, longing, desperate, that needs to take in or receive or ingest something to satisfy it. All right, fact of life for every one of us. There is an invisible condition inside of us in the realm of our soul, in the realm of our spirit, 
that we're going to wander into our journey in life and there's going to be the right set of circumstances and our spirit is going to feel like our bodies feel in a dry desert place. And in that moment, we're going to need to reach out there somewhere for something to pour in here so that that can get satisfied. Now the question is, what is it that we're going to reach for? Well, (coughs) interesting, in this story that we have here, this is a story about a rock from which water comes. But it's a story about a particular rock, right? There are plenty of rocks. There's lots of rocks available all along their journey. But this is a story about a particular rock that is unique and different than any other rock that exists in the world. Lots of other rocks do exist, by the way. On their way to Mount Sinai, they passed thousands and thousands of rocks, big rocks, little rocks, colored rocks, jagged rocks, round rocks, smooth rocks. There was lots and lots of rocks. But this is a rock like no other rock. And if you make the mistake of trying to get your thirst satisfied by going to any other rock, in this moment you will strike out. I think I wrote this in your outline. In this story, We're introduced to a specific solution to our need. Not merely a general principle that works for anyone in a variety of ways. They're introduced to one particular rock which has unique qualities about it like no other rock. If they go to a different rock or the rock of their own choosing, they will not get the same result. True for them and true for us. And pretty important, because you and I live in a land of pluralized idea. We are a a thinking culture. We welcome all kinds of ideas in the realm of religion in particular. Right, well, in this illustration, let me just say this. In the midst of all the religious rocks you can choose from, and there's a lot of them out there, there's one rock that's like no other rock. There's a lot of other rocks, by the way, and they kind of look like this rock. But at the end of the day, there's no water coming out of any of those other rocks. It's a very, very exclusive thing. And, you know, in in our culture, you know, we don't want to be introduced to exclusivity. We don't like that. We'd like fairness and tolerance. We like those. We'd like for water to come from every rock or whatever rock we'd prefer. But nobody in this story gets to say, you know what, I, I saw a rock about a mile back up the road before we got here. I really, really liked that rock. So you guys go drink from that rock. I'm going to go drink from that one. How many of you guys know there's no water coming out of that rock? It is a rock. And you can go stand next to it. You can bring a cup with you. But at the end of the day, all you got is a rock and some dust. You got no water coming from that rock. There's only one rock in all the wilderness that you can get water from. It's this rock. And listen, there's lots of stuff out there. There's lots of ideas out there that are trying to venture into the market of thirst. Right? If you're biblically informed, there's a market out there for thirsty people. And I'm not talking about cold drinks. Right? There is something going on in the soul of man that if you read your Bible, you're aware of this, that Humanity is thirsty. It has stuff going on on the inside of it that it is longing for something to provide the satisfaction for. And there's a lot of possibilities out there. Religion is one of them. Look at this thought. This is a quote from motivationgrid.com. 
top motivational speakers, if you want to go find out who the top motivational speakers are, it's available on that website. Here's a guy named Eric Thomas, apparently taking the motivational circuit by storm. Describes him as a high school dropout, a homeless man, and now probably the most passionate motivational speaker ever. If we all had as much passion as him, we'd be on another level. He can motivate you to another level. His speeches are intense. I'd suggest to every, every person that's alive at this very moment and can still breathe to check out some of his speeches. You won't be disappointed. Thomas does not sugarcoat anything. He, he's nicknamed the hip-hop preacher, and he's as blunt as a rapper. Thomas also talks about how it may take years to accomplish your definition of success. I love that subjective pothole. But... If you are truly committed to your goals and willing to make the necessary sacrifices, you will be successful. My favorite quote from E.T. is, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. All right. What, what exactly is success in this category? Well, in our context today, success is some form of soul satisfaction. Right, that's what we're after. And we'll go listen to motivational speakers who've got some kind of idea, some new angle, that if you'll think this way and do these things and practice these principles, then your soul, that, that craving inside of you that lives with you on a daily basis, your soul will find satisfaction. All right, well, in the realm of religion, there's lots of those. But in the realm of life and modern TV, there, there are tons of Oprah's and Dr. Phil's and Tony Robbins out there, that they have an audience because people are thirsty. That's why they have an audience. Somebody tell me how to do this thing. Somebody tell me what principles to practice, what ideas to embrace so that this thing on the inside of me that keeps saying, fix me, fix me, fill me, fill me, make me feel satisfied, will shut up. And there's lots of those guys out there. But you know what's interesting about all of them is that they point to every other rock except the rock. Listen, I don't, don't raise your hand on this. You know, if you haven't been in the church too long, you, you don't know how I feel about Oprah. But you'll discover eventually. I'm not a big Oprah fan. Actually, she's probably a nice person. I probably would enjoy just hanging out and having coffee. But the ideas that she traffics in. To a Christian, to the God of the universe, they are offensive. You understand why? Because in her mode of fixing a broken world, Jesus is not necessary. You don't need Jesus to fix what's broken in humanity. You just need some ideas. You just need some positive stuff. And if Jesus works for you, whatever that even means, if that works for you, fine. But you know what? For a lot of other people, that doesn't work, and it doesn't really need to work. Okay, well, the God of the universe, who did not spare his own son, but placed him in this little container called humanity and made him walk around in an address, though he was an infinite, eternal God, and then poured out his wrath and judgment upon him, I think he feels a little differently about whether or not Jesus was necessary or not. I don't ever hear Tony Robbins saying how to be successful has anything to do with Jesus Christ and what he did and what he accomplished. Dr. Phil isn't pointing people to Jesus. 
He points people to responsibility. Good for him. I like that. Glad for that. Take responsibility for your life. Be, be a responsible person. Quit being, quit being a laying on somebody's leg person. But none of that needs Jesus. You don't need Jesus for any of that. Be careful that you're just not being directed to the other rocks in the wilderness instead of the rock from which water flows. Right, interesting, fast forward into the New Testament, Jude, verses 3 through 6. Jude says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. Guys, you know what that word contend means, right? It means to fight. I felt like I needed to write to you to tell you to fight for something. And you can't fight for something without fighting against something else. Right? So I know I kind of bend people's feathers a little bit when I pick on Oprah and people like that. Um, there is a call in your life. If you're a Christian, you're called to fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered. You're called to fight for a story that says of the thousands of rocks out there, there's one rock from which water will flow that will satisfy your soul. And Oprah ain't talking about that rock. And therefore she's misleading millions of people into a false belief system. And it may sound positive. It may sound encouraging. But it has set aside the Son of God. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if I'm trying to solve the human dilemma and I never bring up Jesus as the only master and Lord, I have denied him. If he is one of a dozen choices, I have denied him because it's not the same him. The Jesus in the scriptures is, a, is in the only hope given. That's how he's presented. If you ever turn him into one of several hopes, he's no longer who the Bible says he is. So therefore, you have denied Christ. You cannot make Christ one of several possibilities without denying him. Because the Bible presents him as the climax to the story. He is the remedy. He is the rock from which life flows into our lives. Verse 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, huh, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with their own possession of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Well, that's a, that's a loaded passage right there. Because among all the ideas about who Jesus is, that passage is loaded. Who is this Jesus? Verse 5. He's the God who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. No, no, it's like, well, well yeah, I guess I knew that. Oh, you, you sure you didn't think that was God who did that? And Jesus is off on the side somewhere else in another unique category. 
God delivered the people out of Egypt. But Jesus, I don't know what he was doing. I guess he was sitting on the throne. I don't know. He was doing something. The Bible says that the God who delivered the people out of Egypt was Jesus. He's the God who delivered the people out of Egypt. He's, he's not a guy who comes into existence when he gets born into a manger in Bethlehem and lives in Nazareth and taught some really cool ideas that we should quote and did some pretty amazing things even that no one can really explain. That's when he came into existence. No, 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 no. He was in the wilderness delivering these people out of Egypt. Same God. Not just a man. He came to be a man. But he was God when he came to be a man. Interesting, verse 6 says he's the God who dealt with the rebellious angels. You know, whenever this happened in the time frame of God, it speaks of it as an event from the past. So when the angels rebelled against God, it wasn't the carpenter from Nazareth. It was God, Jesus Christ, who constrained those angels in eternal bonds. It was God who did that, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manna sent down from heaven. Right, all these illustrations we have in this story, Jesus is these things. <clears throat> Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. <clears throat> this is the bread, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I mean, the image of the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. It's his blood that has redeeming quality to it. Jesus is the I am. Remember the moment when <clears throat> Moses turns aside and he encounters God in the burning bush. And we're comfortable saying he encountered God. Do you understand? He encountered Jesus Christ in the burning bush. The same Jesus Christ he encountered in the burning bush. John chapter 8. Jesus says, your father, Abraham, right, if you don't know your time frame here, right, your, the Exodus occurs in 1450 B.C. Abraham lived in 2000 B.C. So we're going back even farther than Moses now. Jesus walks planet Earth in the first century A.D. So we're way back in time here. And he says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? This sounds crazy. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, before 2,000 years ago, I am. That's not bad grammar, by the way. I know it seems like he should have said, before Abraham was, I was. I am, as though the same I am in the burning bush. Who do I say, Moses said. Who do I say sent me? Tell them, I am that I am has sent you. Jesus Christ is the I am of the burning bush. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why did they do that? Well, because he was blaspheming as far as they were concerned. He's blaspheming unless he really is God. But if he's a man who claims to be God, then he's worthy of being killed by the law. And he should be stoned to death. That's why they picked up stones. Listen, those Jews on that day in that audience who listened to him say this and defend who he was, they knew exactly what he was saying. You, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. Who is this, who is this Jesus? 
right? Well, in our story today, right, here's the commentary from the New Testament on our story today. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to this description of Jesus. Verse 1 says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, right? We're in the wilderness now. This is what Paul's picking up here. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Listen, you can go to other rocks, but there's only one rock in the wilderness from which living water flows. And that's the rock that gets described in the New Testament as well. That rock is the person who is God himself, Jesus Christ. If you're trying to do life and, and, and you, you're making use of some ideas, some motivational techniques, whatever it is, that allows for other rocks to be a possibility for you, then, then that teaching is denying that there is one rock from which the water of life flows. There's one. There's one rock that can satisfy the human soul. There's one. Let me, let me I put this in. I don't know if it's in your outline, actually. Uh, maybe it's going to be up on the screen here. Um, but let, let me, while I'm sideswiping people today, let me sideswipe Islam. Uh, because Islam is being welcomed into this country. Islam is becoming part of the fabric of a pluralized society uh, where we live. And there's a lot of effort being made, interestingly, to accommodate Islam, to welcome its ideas, to sort of welcome to America Islam. Uh, it, it's, you know, regardless of how I feel about it spiritually, you know, it just on, on the face of things, it flies in the face of the same culture that's criticizing anybody and everybody who's not for same-sex marriage and promoting homosexuality. I mean, Islam is, is a very, very, very intolerant set of ideas. And so how America can all of a sudden decide that, hey, we're good with Islam and we're not good with anybody who doesn't tolerate these values. I don't know how that's happening, except that we live in darkness. That's probably the only explanation. But Here's what's being said. If, you, if your children are being taught about Islam in the school system, at some point, your children and you will be introduced to the idea that Allah is the same God of the Bible. And there will be all kinds of vocabulary words that will maybe even induce you to think, well, maybe he is. I mean, Islam's they're good with Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and other prophets from the Old Testament, and even Jesus. They're all right with all that. So, God of Abraham, right? Allah? All right, let me just, just say this and let it echo off of your souls. Allah is not the same God of the Bible. Now, this is what the Quran says about Jesus Christ. Because remember, we just visited a little bit about who Jesus Christ is. He's not some dude that just came into existence in a, in a manger and lived in Nazareth and taught some ideas, and that's his introduction to the world. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the I am. 
He's the God of the Bible. He created everything. All things were created through him and for him. So the God of the Bible is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the Quran says this in Surah 4, verse 171. Oh, people of the book, describing, uh, describing Israel primarily, but it also was a description of Christians, the scriptures. Commit no excess in your religion, nor say of Allah aught but the truth. Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah. And his word, which he bestowed on Mary, and a spirit proceeding from him. So believe in Allah and his messengers. Say not Trinity. Desist. It will be better for you, for Allah is one Allah. Glory be to him. Far exalted is he above having a son. <clears throat> to him belong all things in the heavens and on earth. The next chapter it says, In blasphemy <clears throat> indeed are those who say that Allah is Christ, the son of Mary. It, the Islam is intolerant of the view that Jesus Christ is God. Now, I know it feels like, well, you're picking a fight with Islam. Let me, just, let me just accurately help you see who picked the fight, right? The Bible gets written. Jesus Christ comes. He makes claims. He does miracles. He's resurrected from the dead. He turns the world upside down. The scriptures are written as a revelation. that this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, so it points back to all the things that the Old Testament said, and then it realizes the reality of who Jesus Christ is, and this all happens in the first century. A.D. In the year 600, approximately A.D., so we're, we're 600 years, 500 and something years later, a guy comes along named Muhammad. And he claims he's got some views that are different than that. He claims he's heard something from God, and he starts writing it down. And he writes these things down. And he looks back at Christianity, and he says, you Christians have got it all wrong. That Jesus, he's not God. Matter of fact, he didn't even die on the cross. That's all a hoax. It was a lookalike. He was, he was a prophet of God. He was like all the other prophets. He was a messenger of God. He had something to say that we should all pay attention to, but he is no more than that. You need to adjust what you believe. Listen, the first punch was not thrown by the Christians. The first punch in this debate was thrown by some guy. Let me take the mystery out of this, right? Some guy begins to write down some ideas. I'm not sure what he was, you know, I'm doing a little, little bit about Muhammad's life. He, he wasn't doing anything all that impressive beforehand. And he wrote some ideas down. And let's suppose you're the first person to walk up and start to read his writings. You're the first person. Nobody else has read them yet. And you know something about Christianity, which most of the people who were reading what he wrote did not. You going with what he's saying? I'm just curious. No mystery here. It's not the Holy Quran at that moment. It's just some dude who claims he was off by himself and wrote down some ideas. And he says, here, read. What do you think? And you go, wait, let me get, let me get this right. So you're saying that Jesus Christ wasn't God? You know, you do realize like the whole Bible's all about him. 
and pointing to him and what he did. Oh, and, and I don't see anything in here about a lamb that needed to die in the place of the guilty in order to present us to God. I, I see a lot of effort in here on our part, and I see you got to believe a couple things. So you're saying all that stuff is wrong? That's what you're saying? First time you ever read it. Are you a devoted follower of that in that moment? Or are you scratching your head going, where'd this guy get these ideas from? Now, just expose those ideas to people who don't know what Jesus Christ did and what he said. And proliferate that and let enough people stand in line and say, yeah, I read that and I'm with it. And you have Islam. But be clear, the God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. He shares some similar concepts and ideas with the God of the Bible. He is not the God of the Bible. So if somebody says, hey, you know, you Christians need to lighten up a little bit. I mean, the Muslims worship the same God you do. They do not worship the same God that we worship. And they call the God that we worship a liar. Because if Jesus Christ turns out to not have been God, the dude was a fruitcake. That's your choices. You either are overwhelmed by the God who became man and did all that he did in the power of the Spirit of God and accomplished all that he did by the purpose and plan of God, or you got a guy on your hands who ran around saying he was God and he wasn't. So he's either deceiving everybody on purpose or he's nuts. But don't anybody follow him for either one of those reasons. You shouldn't follow a deceiver, and you shouldn't follow a guy who's nuts. He thought he was God. Yeah, but he did some cool stuff. I'm sorry, he thought he was God. If he's not God, I don't want to be following him. But he is God. He is the rock. He's the same God who met a thirsty people in the wilderness all those years ago to meet the need in their life. He's the same God. He is that rock. Now, here's, here's the reality of life. Let me put some real people into this story before we finish. At some point, thirst looks a certain way. Right? You can, if you can turn real quick, turn to John chapter 4 with me. At some point, thirsty lives are recognizable. You live next door to people like this. You probably are someone like this. And at some point, we live life, and we make decisions, and we pursue life because we're thirsty. We're looking for something that will make that internal craving get satisfied, right? Let me introduce you to a woman from Samaria. John chapter 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but they, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. and Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is a story about thirst, isn't it? It uses a well. It's got people going to a well. But it tells a story of a woman's life, about a thirsty woman's life. Five husbands, on to number six. And this one's not her husband. What is it that drives a woman to one relationship after another, after another, after another? It's not likely in this day, given the way in which culture was, that, you know, this is not Liz Taylor. You guys remember Liz Taylor? I think she had like a half a dozen husbands too. But she was wealthy and she could dispense of them, right? She'd try one and sample them and get rid of them, try another one and sample and get rid of them. Unlikely that that's her experience. She probably is on the receiving end of being sampled. She's probably got men in her life that have tried to have their thirst met and it didn't work with her and so they got rid of her. And then she went to the next one and then he tried it and it didn't work and he got rid of her. And the next one and the next one and the next one. See, there is something in the heart of a person that gets driven by their thirst. And you think after three or four times of being treated that way, she'd be done with men, done with them. But see, thirst doesn't go away. Whatever it was that she thought she needed, she needed some kind of acceptance. She needed some kind of protection. She needed security. She needed somebody to provide for her. Whatever it was that she was after, that thirst on the inside of her drove her from one man to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And when she shows up at this well, she's thirsty. But Jesus knows you're not thirsty for what's inside that hole right there. You're thirsty for the water that only I can give you. And if you'd have known who I was, you'd have asked me. And I'd have given you living water. And you'd have been rescued from this thirst that drives you from one desert location to another, one man after another. See, now, here's what's interesting, right? Here's what we see in this, in this story. 
two things in this wilderness. These people are going to come to a rock, and out of that rock, living water is going to flow into their lives. Uh, is that just a cool story in the Old Testament, or is, is that still our story today? Is it still the Samaritan woman's story? Because it's interesting that when she meets Jesus at the well and her life is thirsty, he doesn't just give her principles. He doesn't just give her ideas. Can I just give you some marriage counseling? Can I just tell you why this isn't working, lady? Here, why don't you read my book? She, she doesn't need marriage counseling. She needs Jesus. She needs to come to the rock. She doesn't need to change some ideas about her life. She needs to stop going to all the other rocks out there that can't provide living water for her. And so she's as thirsty as she's ever been on the inside. And this story doesn't end with Jesus giving her something to do or some new practice or here's a new technique. He says, I who speak to you am he. This is what you've been looking for. You just didn't know it. This is a story about coming to the rock. And it's about receiving the Spirit. Eric, you can go ahead and come back up here, buddy. It's about receiving the Spirit, right? This whole story is not just about a rock, is it? Because when the rock gets struck, water flows from the rock. Well, what is that water? Well, it's what satisfies the soul's thirst. Okay, I get that in the illustration. But what is that water in the Bible? Well, according to the scriptures, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the very living presence of God revealed to us, tasted, received by us in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. When the water flowed from the rock, it was an illustration of the day in which Jesus would be afflicted on the cross. And what he promised those people, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me. And drink, except when he said it in John chapter 7, he kind of told them, you can't have it yet. This he spoke of the Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So what people needed when Jesus stood in an audience and spoke to them to slake their thirst was the Spirit of God. And they could only get it by coming to the rock. Listen, this is a great story, isn't it? It's about one rock that can provide what the human heart needs, and that's the Spirit of God. Listen, that was true then, and it's true for us today. It, it's true in this room for people who have never, you, you don't have the Spirit of God. Because listen, let me tell you, you can't drink of the water unless you come to the rock. The rock, not a rock. Not other rocks, but I, you know, I want to get satisfied in my spirit, but I, I can't seem to be. you got to come to the rock. There is one rock in the wilderness, and that rock provides living water, and that living water satisfies our souls. So let me, let me give us some, some time to pray here in just a minute and address two sets of folks here. Maybe there are some here who... You're, you're thirsty. You're here this morning, and you've got your own Samaritan woman story going on. 
There are things that are in your life that you just keep moving from event to relationship to I hope this works to career choice to this is going to fix me. And, and you're on to your fifth or your sixth thing that's supposed to fix that thirst and you're still not feeling like it's fixed. You know, those things can't fix you. They weren't supposed to fix you. There's a part of you that's spiritual. It's not just physical. It's not just an immediate thing. It's eternal. It's going to last forever. It's alive inside of you, and it, it's your soul that thirsts for God. My soul thirsts for God, and that God is the rock, Jesus Christ. Your soul is thirsting for Jesus Christ. That's what you're after. And this Jesus provides the living water. What satisfies our lives is his presence coming into our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit, God coming to live inside of us. That's what this story is about. So on the one hand, there are some who need to come to the rock so that water can flow into your life, maybe for the very first time ever. But there are some of us here that you came to the rock years ago. That's not where the disconnect is for you. You understood. You couldn't save yourself, but there was a there was a Jesus who would take your place. He'd be stricken in your place, and you put your faith in him. But you're here this morning, and you're thirsty in a way that you shouldn't be thirsty. You're still looking for something. What's happened? Something's become disconnected in your world. It's interesting, this passage, I think I put that in your outline from Jeremiah. God speaks to his people when he says this. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out or they built cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You understand, you can come to Christ at some point in your life, look to him for life, and then you move along in life and you start looking somewhere else. You stop looking to the living water and you start looking to whatever it is that you can build for your own life to provide living water for you. And you're going to be as thirsty as you ever were. Because those, those can't hold living water. There's, there's not living water sitting inside your bank account. No matter how much money you got in your checkbook, there's no living water in that place. There might be money in that place. There's no living water in that place. God wants us to have all kinds of things in our lives. It could be relationship, marriage, husband, wife. Listen, you cannot get living water from those places. You can get something. Most likely, at some point, you're going to get disappointed. So the question for some of us here is, you know, I've come to the rock, but I'm thirsty. Well, okay, are you thirsty because you've started to look somewhere else for living water? And you've gone right back to like when you didn't even know Christ. Thirsty. Let's stand up together. Would you bow your head and just let the the Lord get personal with you. Maybe that you're storyline has got five or six somethings in it. It's just it's just not former husbands, but it's it's former something. 
God has brought you here this morning to satisfy your thirst. But the water that you need is in the rock. It's not in a bunch of rocks. It's not in the rock of religion. It's, it's not in the rock of some relationship somewhere. It's not in the rock of success or fame. It's not in fitting into some group. If you're a young person trying to find the right group, it's, it's not in finding the right career or the right cause. It's not in those rocks. It's in the rock who is Jesus Christ. So if you're you're here this morning and you've not come to Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, I'm, I'm coming to you to find life. I'm coming to you to turn from living life my own way, in my own strength, my own reasons. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you to get my sins forgiven. I'm coming to you to be restored to God so that the life of God, the living water of God can flow into my life. Listen, if you're here this morning, I just want you to just be sensitive to what God is communicating to your own heart right now. If you're here this morning and and you've not come to Jesus Christ to give him your life and to receive life from him, but this morning you would like to do that, you know that what you're really thirsting for is a relationship with with Jesus Christ, and you've not done that before, let me ask you, just raise your hand just for a moment so I can see you and recognize you. Hold your hand up real high for me. Eyes aren't as good as they used to be. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else you want to? This morning, you want to say, God, I need you. That's what I need. I need you to come satisfy my heart. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up real quick. Let me see it. Thank you. In just a moment, I'm going to have us come pray. And I want to ask those guys who just raised their hands if they would come right here to the middle in a moment and and just let me have a word with you. But let let me say this to all of us that are here. And I want to invite you to respond. I want you to imagine, if you will, and use this physical expression here. There was a rock somewhere in the wilderness. And there was lots of rocks that people passed by. There was lots of things that they could have put their hope in. But there was this one rock that they came to that rock to touch that rock to provide living water in their life. And listen, if you're here and you've, you've come to Christ before, but you are here this morning and you're thirsty, can you just be honest about that? And you are in some kind of a dehydrated state. It's, it's not good for your soul right now. And I know you're saved, and man, if you died right now, you'd be in heaven because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. But right now, living in this world, you're a little cranky. You're a little ready to hurt somebody. You're a little messed up right now because you're thirsty on the inside. You are thirsty, and you you need living water, and the Spirit of God is that living water. So here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to leave this building thirsty like that. All right, so if you would, I don't know how big that rock was, but, you know, it was a pretty, pretty large group of folks here. So let's just say the rock was the size of this platform up here, just 
rock, that you could come and you could touch that rock. You come to the rock and the Spirit of God would move into your thirst. Right? We believe in a supernatural God, don't we? You understand, you can be here this morning with an outlook about whatever it is in your life, your future, a relationship, your finances. You can be with an outlook that feels overwhelming and there's no hope for you this morning. And the Spirit of God can flow into that and suddenly faith begins to build in your heart. Hope begins to come. A renewed mind kicks in and you begin to see your life through a different lens. That doesn't just have to be from a book that you're going to read. It's going to take three months for you to get through it. It might come that way, but it could come this morning where the, the living water of God flows into your life and you suddenly begin to see those things differently. How about we do this? If you're here this morning and you're thirsty, Jesus Christ says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and I will give you living water. He spoke with reference to the Spirit that those would receive who believed in him. I'm not about first-time people. I'm talking about I need to be filled with God again. I'm thirsty. If that's you, don't leave thirsty. I want you to come up here. I want you to actually find a place. Like this is a big, giant rock, and I want you to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm here for living water. I'm here for you to touch my life and invigorate my spirit with living water. Go ahead and come out from where you are. Whatever it is that you're experiencing. If, you're, if you want to do this for the first time in your life, you want to say yes to Christ. I'm coming to Christ this morning. And I've not done that before. And I'm coming to find this flow of life that he promises me. Come make your way up. I believe God wants to supernaturally meet with his people. ask some folks to come to come and pray. You have a feel for what it is that we're praying for today. And God has been meeting with folks who are coming in faith and asking for God to show up in the immediacy of our meeting. So I want to have faith for that this morning. God is here this morning. He gathers with us. His spirit is in our midst. So Lord, we, we are grateful that you gather with us. Oh, we're grateful for the mercy that's in your heart toward those who turn to you in faith. So, Spirit of God, we need an outpouring of your Spirit. Lord, it doesn't do any good if all these Israelites show up at a rock and nothing comes out of that rock. God, well, there's something that we need. There's an exchange that's got to take place. Lord, you said that there's living water. You said that out of our innermost being would flow Rivers, Lord, this picture of abundance, it's not a trickle, it's not a drop, it's not moisture, it's rivers of living water. And Lord, what you have before you are people saying, I don't feel the river flowing right now. I, I feel like I'm thirsty and I'm not satisfied and, and I just feel an agitation and a restlessness. And God, I need you to provide into my soul. I need your spirit to come and be poured out. So Lord, as we pray for these folks... Lord, you impart by the Spirit. Lord, you impart faith by the Spirit. We pray for faith to come. God, you, you impart courage, boldness in our lives. Lord, there are paths that are being walked by some of these folks that they are tempted to stray from. They're tempted to not try. They're tempted to not go down because they feel threatened. 
They feel insecure about where they are. God, they're afraid to take steps. But God, you come and we see boldness emerging into our lives. Spirit of God, come fill your people this morning. God, come bring the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. There are wrestlings taking place in hearts. Lord, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Oh, God, for your joy to flow into our lives. God, would you rescue us from the misery of the wilderness, God, and would you put into our lives a fresh sense of joy, fruit of the Spirit. God, awaken joy. Some of these lives, Lord, some of them have just been in a dry desert place for too long. God, we pray for the river of your spirit to come and bring joy into the now, God. Not waiting for a day that might feel better, but God, right now, joy in the midst of this circumstance, joy in this wilderness. God, let the rock bring forth water that makes a difference right here this morning. I need some of you guys to come pray for these folks. The Bible talks about us laying hands and praying for people and God filling people with his spirit. Well, that happens when we, when we take up God's cause. We pray for folks. So come and be directed by the Lord to pray and ask for God's fresh filling. Reaching out to well. 
heart's now to yours. Every fear bow down to your love. We would see like never before. Give us a grace. to you for I know you satisfy I am empty but I know I am empty but I know your love does not run dry so we wait so I'll wait for you so I'll
Jesus, we come to you, our rock. We come to you for life. We come to you for for quenching the thirsts that we feel inside of us, Lord. Lord, help us this week as we go out into the desert land, so to speak, Lord, and we encounter thirst. Lord, would we not go to cisterns that cannot not quench our thirst, Lord, but would we run to you? Would we come hungry to you, Lord? Would we come to find all that we need in you, God, in your presence? Lord, may we live for you this week, we pray, nourished and sustained on you alone, oh God. We love you, Lord with us this week, we pray. In your name, amen. We're going to have folks still up here praying, so please dismiss quietly. You're welcome to stay.